Ta-da. Oh, how's everybody tonight? There's a baby here. (laughs) Hey, if you have your Bibles with you, open up. What'd you do? Open up to the book of Numbers. Open up to the book of Numbers. And uh, we're going to continue going through the book of Numbers. Hopefully I don't wake up the baby. I put her to sleep. I see how you guys are. Never miss an opportunity. <clears throat> so as we've been going through the book of Numbers, one of the things that I, I want us to kind of keep our focus on, it's easy to do when we're journeying our way through the Old Testament because you'll come to a place like Numbers and for about five chapters, six chapters, we're going to be actually talking about, yes, you guessed it, Numbers. And when we look at those, it's easy to start to kind of get our eyes glassed over and say, you know, let's just skip ahead and and not focus so much on these things. But listen, every single spot in God's Word, every every single verse, there's something in it for us. There's something in it to to help us. There's something in it to to guide us, to lead us. If we're willing to have eyes to see, God will speak to us through through the entire Word of God. And you saw last week as we went through the first two chapters... And it talked about the way that the, the nation of Israel was divided under four camps. And those four encampments, the way they camped around the tabernacle. The point was, the tabernacle was the presence of God. And they didn't move unless the presence of God moved. They didn't go to the left, to the right, ahead or behind. They only went where God was leading. And that's what we want to have. That's, that's the kind of heart we want in in our service, in the things that we do, in the, in the places that we work, and uh, the choices that we make. It is, is God leading me? And as God moves, I want to be faithful and willing to get up and move along with Him. Even if maybe it seems like the Lord is going to something that's not comfortable. There's very often the case will be, God will take you someplace that's not necessarily comfortable for you. But what happens when we, when we follow Him? We grow. We learn. We discover more and more about him as he continues to lead and guide us. We also saw as that encampment would, would settle, where they would set, if you were, say, Balaam, and we'll come to Balaam later on in, in the book of Numbers, and you're trying to curse the children of Israel, and you're on top of this mountainside looking down on the encampment, you're looking at the shape of a cross. Wherever they went, the, the aerial view would be that of a cross. Everywhere that they went, as they camped, as they moved. And the Lord lays this out for us as we go through numbers. We're going to see again tonight that God is a God of organization. As much as we would like to say, you know, let's just kind of see what happens and fly by the seat of our pants. You're going to have a hard time finding that in the Word of God. What you're going to find in the Word of God is God saying, hey, these people, this is their job. These people, this is their job. This group over here, I want them doing this. This is the way I want you to to do it. This is how I want you to pick it up. This is how I want you to wrap it up. I mean, God gives them very precise instructions. Why? Because, listen, when the presence of God moves, there's a way, a method that God wants us to follow Him. God may be directing us. He may be saying, we have a VBS coming up shortly. And so the Lord has, has, has led us 
to moving forward with the VBS. And he's given a vision. He wants us to follow the vision that God laid out for the leadership, uh, specifically those in children's ministry that have a, a vision for what God's doing and how God's moving. And, and God wants us to come alongside and fulfill our role supporting that vision. He, God doesn't call us to come alongside and change their vision, change what they're doing, say, you know, I got a better way. Because we'll see tonight as we go through the scriptures, Numbers chapter 3 and 4, that God directed the families that he directed to move the things he wanted moved the way he wanted them moved. And he said, I don't want some other family coming over and saying, no, do it this way. No. This is how it's going to be done. This is the, the direction, the directives that God's given. And so God wants us to be willing to follow his direction as he lays that out for us, as he, as he leads us according to his word. For the nation of Israel, the word of God came through Moses. Over and over again, you're going to read in the first five books, the Pentateuch, and God said to Moses, I thought Aaron was a high did God, did, how did God direct Aaron? Now, I know that God spoke to Aaron. We see that in the scriptures, that God spoke to Aaron. But as the organization was being laid out, God spoke to Moses and told Moses, tell Aaron. Tell Aaron to do this. Tell Aaron to do that. Why? Because God wanted the children of Israel to understand how the organization or the organism, the life, the living part of the children of Israel were to function. We've all said before, too many chiefs, not enough Indians, haven't we? We've all seen examples of everybody who has their own way of doing things, but nobody wants to follow the leader. Well, listen, when God lays something out, he calls us to follow the leadership. And he lays it out that way. And, and the same thing is true within the church, isn't it? I mean, when we went through 1 Corinthians, you guys remember when Paul began to discuss how we're all a different part of the body of Christ? He didn't say one part was better than another part was better than another part. But he said we all have a role to fulfill within the body of Christ. And the head of that body is whom? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head. And he's going to guide and direct the body as he sees fit. And he calls you and I to fulfill our role, whatever it is. And to find our satisfaction, our fulfillment in doing that role. And understanding that, that that role becomes vital. Our problem is sometimes we minimize what we do for the Lord because we think that's not as important as something else or, 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 or you know, whatever the case may be. You know, doing, doing worship for a children's church is not like doing worship uh, for Sunday morning. It's, it's different. You're right. In a lot of ways, doing worship for a children's ministry is more important because we're teaching up the children how to worship. And... and and what they learn in Sunday school is going to be the basis of what they see as worship their whole life. But sometimes we'll flip it. Sometimes we'll see roles in different ways. And listen, God wants us to realize each and every role that he has called us to, each and every direction that he's given us is for a purpose and it fulfills God's plan. And if you or I are for fulfilling God's plan for our life, well, we're going to be satisfied in that. We're going to find our fulfillment in that, that this is what God has called me to do. If we find ourselves restless, there could be a couple of things going on. One, we're not fulfilling what God has for us to do, and we are being pricked in our spirit 
that, hey, God wants something more for me, and, and maybe I need to spend some time in prayer and focus and see what it is God's calling me to. Or we're trying to do something God hasn't called us to. So we want to remember the lesson of numbers. Where the presence of God goes, we go. How God leads, we follow. The directions that God gives, we want to fulfill. And so as we take a look at Numbers 3 and 4, this is a lesson that we're going to see. These are, this is a message that God has for us. In chapter 3, he begins, Now these are the records of Aaron and Moses when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. And these are the names of the sons of Aaron. Now this is important. The sons of Aaron were from the family of Levi, from the tribe of Levi. But the only ones at this point in the, in the Word of God, the only ones at this time that can fulfill the obligation of priests or high priests must come directly from the family of Aaron. Aaron and his sons. They were to be the ones that would be the priests. So there was the priesthood within the tribe of Levi, but just because you were a Levite didn't mean you were a priest. There were a total of, of four families. Remember we saw four banners last week. This week we're going to see four families. Aaron's family. And then we're going to see the rest of the tribe of Levi divided up into three other families. And four distinct roles. For Aaron, their role was high priest. High priest became that person which would, would intercede for the people, from the people to God, and from God to the people. They would do this work, this role. And then you remember as we look at the family of Aaron... Nadab the firstborn and Abihu. You remember those two guys, right? Nadab and Abihu aren't around anymore. And the, the, the scripture goes on to tell us. Nadab the firstborn, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron and the anointed priests whom he consecrated to minister as priests. So listen, God called the family of Aaron. Didn't mean any other family wasn't important. It just meant Aaron's family was called to be the priests. And that was the role God expected them to fulfill. God has placed a calling for each of us. Some he calls, we know in, in, in First and Second Peter, we're a kingdom of priests, right? You read the book of Exodus, you know what it says about the nation of Israel? They were to be a kingdom of priests. But there was a specific family called to minister the needs of the people in sacrifice, in their relationship, reconciliation with the Almighty God. And that was Aaron and his children. So those born of Aaron's family had a role to fulfill. They understood their calling. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the scripture goes on to tell us in verse 4, they had died. Nadab and Abihu had died before the Lord. When they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. Eleazar is going to become the chief of the Levites. And ultimately, he will be the one to replace Aaron as high priest later on. Ithamar, he's going to have the role of... Uh, taking care the offering from the tabernacle. We, we actually read about that in Exodus. Ithamar received the offering. Remember the offering? And then Moses said, stop giving. You've given too much. 
Uh, he received that offering, and then he's going to be in charge or over the Gershonites and the Merariites. Uh, he's going to cover those two families of the Levites. He's going to guide and direct them and the things that they do. So God had a very specific organization set out. It wasn't just, hey, Moses, you do everything. It was, here's Moses, and then you have Aaron and his sons as a priest, and you had the Gershonites and the Merarites, and we're going to see the Kothites or, or the Kothites that are going to each have a role in what is done around the tabernacle and for the moving of the tabernacle, what happens with it. So we're going to see each of these things taking place. Why? Because God is a God of organization, not a God of confusion. God wants organization within his body. If you don't have organization within your body, you have a problem, don't you? If something in your body is not doing what it's supposed to do, not very long, you're going to figure it out. Something's not happening. Just, just last night, I was playing softball. I haven't learned my lesson. I was playing softball uh, for the Buell softball team, which, by the way, we're doing pretty good. We happened to lose last night. Might have been my fault. Don't tell nobody I said that. <clears throat> but we're playing... And I hit the ball, and I'm running. In about five steps, I realize that there's a problem. My lungs are not giving me near enough oxygen while I'm running around the bases. It doesn't take very long for my whole body to say, uh, something needs to change. Now, I don't know if I'm willing to do the things that need to be changed to change that. But immediately I understood something was wrong. Same thing is true within the body of Christ or within the nation of Israel. Each person had their role. They were to fulfill their role and follow the Lord as he led them. So Nadab and Abihu are gone. Eleazar and Ithamar take their, their roles. And so the Lord spoke to Moses in verse 5. Bring the tribe of Levi near and present them before Aaron the priest that they may serve him. So Aaron's family would be the priesthood. That was the first section we saw. And it went through their family, right? He's got two sons left. And then they're going to break down the rest of the tribe of Levi and the four families. What was their role? Their role was to serve the, the priests. So you have Aaron and his two sons. They had responsibility. But these other families were to come alongside and do the work. Now, how many people at this time in the children of Israel? Two and a half million or more. And how many sacrifices are we looking at? And, and how many, So we need a lot of people to be a part of the process. You can't. Put it all on the one or the one family. So the Lord called the rest of the tribe of Levi to serve. Verse 7. And they shall attend to his needs and the needs of the whole congregation before the tabernacle of meeting to do the work of the tabernacle. So they were to be a part of service around the tabernacle. Also they shall attend to all the furnishings of the tabernacle of the meeting and to the needs of the children of Israel to do the work of the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are given entirely to him from among the children of Israel. So you will appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall attend to the priesthood. But the outsider who comes near shall be put to death. So here's what he's saying. Aaron and his family were the priesthood. The Levites were to serve in conjunction with the, the work of the tabernacle, meeting the needs of the people, helping with the sacrifice. But the priests fulfilled the role of the, of the priesthood. We have the rest of the Levites doing everything that they can, and, and God's actually going to be very specific in their role, what they're going to do, how they're going to help out. But he said, as far as the priesthood, nobody but Aaron and his family. 
Any stranger, that means anyone who's not from Aaron, shall not come near. Now you remember at this time in the Word of God, how many times could people enter into the presence of God? One time a year. How many people could enter? All of Aaron's kids? No, one, just the high priest. He entered one time on the day of Yom Kippur. We just studied it in the book of Leviticus. He could come in and on that day make atonement for the sins of the nation of Israel. He would be in the very presence of God. See the Shekinah glory of God there in the Holy of Holies. He had that opportunity. But the scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews, do we have that same type of relationship? No, because Jesus Christ has torn the veil, right? The veil between the holy place and the holy of holies. So you and I can enter into the presence of God boldly. We can come boldly before the presence of God. Are we utilizing that gift that we've been given from our high priest, Jesus Christ? I think sometimes I don't utilize it enough. The opportunity to stand boldly before the throne of God. Every time we come together in worship, we have that opportunity. Every time we come together in prayer, we have that opportunity. Every time we come together to study, we have that opportunity to do what Mary did. Remember when Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and just was there basking in his radiance, his glory. And that's the opportunity that we have. Now they didn't enjoy that opportunity like you and I. Prior to the cross, um, there was one, the priest, and only of the family of Aaron could he enter. Then the Lord God spoke to Moses, saying, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel, instead of every firstborn who opens a womb among the children of Israel. Therefore the Levites shall be called mine. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, God says of the nation of Israel... Israel is my firstborn. They're mine. And ultimately, as we went through Genesis and Exodus, we saw that God had called the firstborn to be the spiritual head, the spiritual headship of that family. All the firstborn belonged to the Lord. Over and over again, the Lord laid his call upon the firstborn. Here, and then we see further on in Exodus when we come to the Passover. At the Passover time, the the Passover, God spared the firstborn of Israel, right? All the firstborn of Israel who put the blood of the lamb upon their doorposts were spared. Now, God passed over them and then declared, the firstborn is mine. I bought them. I bought them with the blood of the lamb. They've been paid for. They belong to me. And you remember, they were going to be the priesthood. They were going to fulfill the role that we see the tribe of Levi fulfilling now. But you'll remember, Moses was up on the top of Mount Sinai, you remember? And God said, you better get back down there. The people are all going sideways. And he went down there and they were dancing around a golden calf. And Moses said, listen, you guys need to understand or decide who you're serving. Who is for the Lord? And you remember... When he said that, one family stood up, Levi. And so Levi became the priesthood, and God accepted them as a fulfillment of the requirement of the firstborn to be the priest. So that's what he's talking about here. Hey, Levi is going to take that role. The tribe of Levi is going to fulfill that role. 
instead of every firstborn who opens the womb. Every firstborn, all the firstborn belong to God. Because all the firstborn are mine, in verse 13. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast. They shall be mine. Why? I am the Lord. God's going to give that answer many times. I am the Lord. Because I'm God, and you're not, and you're going to do what I'm asking. Sometimes we need to realize that's enough of a reason. You know, that's enough of a reason for me. Because I am the Lord. And so we want to we put our faith and trust in verse 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, Number the children of Levi by the father's houses, by the families. You will number every male from a month old and above. Now, this is the, the next numbering we saw. We saw the numbering of the other tribes. T- today, we're going to see two numberings of the tribes of Levi. The first one, from a month old up. He's counting everyone. The first census, he's counting everyone within the tribe, every male within the tribe of Levi. Why? He wants to make sure there's enough to cover the firstborn of the children of Israel. We're going to see as we go through, God's going to count all the firstborn, and he's going to count all the tribe of Levi, all the male children, all the male firstborn. He's going to say, is it equal? And we're going to see that it's not equal, and God's going to require an offering to redeem the difference. Now, there won't always be a difference, but whenever there is, God's going to require the redemption of the firstborn that aren't covered by the tribe of Levi. And we'll see, as he goes on, listen, so, the, so Moses numbered them according to the word of the Lord, as he was commanded. These are the sons of Levi by their names. These are going to be the division. We already have the sons of Aaron, and then you're going to have Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And they are going to encamp around the tabernacle, uh, according to where God calls them to go, we'll see in a moment. These are the names of the sons of Gershon by their families. Libni and Shimei, the sons of Kohath by their families. Amram, Izahar, Hebron, and Uziel, the sons of Merari by their families. Mali, Mushi, they are the families of the Levites by their father's houses. So you see God dividing Levi just like he did the rest of the nation. And God giving the organization, the leadership, what banner they're going to encamp under, and where they're going to be around the tabernacle. From Gershon came the family of the Libanites, the family of the Shemites. These were the families from the Gershonites. Those who were numbered according to the number of all the males from a month old and above, of those who were numbered, there were 7,500. The families of the Gershonites were, were to camp behind the tabernacle westward. Where was the door to the tabernacle? On what side? East, okay? East is where Aaron, Moses, and the priesthood would be. West, directly on the opposite side of that, is where the Gershonites will be, to the west. Right beside the tabernacle, between the tabernacle and the tribe that is placed westward. Now as we go on, he's going to lay out for us, uh, and the leader of the father's house of the Gershonites was Eliasaph, the son of of Lael. So God called out the leader. God said, here's how you're going to divide. These are the three families that will go under this banner. 
This is where they're going to camp, and this is their leader. Do you see that God is very organized? That God has a very distinct and specific plan. And that God expects each of us to then fall in line with that calling, that direction. Now, though we're not in the children of Israel and we're not told to camp by families, we do see God lay out before us leadership within the body of Christ, within the church. We see God calling pastors, elders, deacons. We see those positions throughout the scripture and the Lord lays out, laying those, providing those responsibilities, laying out what's expected and, and fulfilling those roles within the body of Christ. The same way we see God doing the same thing within the nation of Israel, giving them their leadership, who's going where, where they're camping, and and what ultimately they're expected to fulfill. The duties of the children of Gershon in the tabernacle of meeting include, now here's what they were responsible for, uh, include the tabernacle, the tent with its covering, the screen for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the screen for the door of the court, the hangings in the court, which are around the tabernacle, and the altar and their cords, um, according to the work relating to them. So they were called to be responsible for all the coverings, all the hangings that was around the tabernacle. So this family, the Gershonites, what they were responsible to do, camp on the westward side, and when it was time to move the camp, they were responsible for removing all the coverings, loading those coverings up and making sure they moved along with the camp. God's going to give to each family these responsibilities. What I expect of you, what I desire of you. And remember, the number that was counted from a month old and up was 7,500. So this is going to fulfill that first census of those who are going to account for the firstborn. Verse 27, from Kohath came the family of the uh, Amramites, the family of the Izharites, the family of the Hebronites, and the family of the U- U- It was a lot easier to say before they put ites on the end. Uzielites, and these are the family of the Kohathites. According to the number of all the males from a month old and above, there were 8,600 keeping charge of the sanctuary. The families of the children of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle so they would go to the south and the leaders of the father's house the families of the Kohathites was Elizaphan the son of Uziel so again God called out the leadership by name here's who's going to lead you guys going to follow him you're going to camp on the south side and this is going to be your responsibility their duty included the ark the table the lampstand, the altars, the utensils of the sanctuary with which they ministered, the screen, and all the work relating to them. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, is to be chief over the leaders of the Levites with oversight of those who kept charge of the sanctuary. So remember, one of Aaron's sons, Eleazar, he's going to be the head of all the chiefs. That means he's the head of all the leaders who are the head of the three families in each one of the sections. So, again, God's very organized, distinct, very, very well planned out. This is what I want. This is where you're going to go. This is what you're responsible to move. And so we see the Kohathites were responsible to, to move all the furniture, all the furniture within the tabernacle. 
All of those things were going to be that which they would move, where they would take as soon as the presence of God began to move. Verse 33, from Merari came the family of the Melites, uh, the family of the Mushites. These were the families of Merari. And, and those who were numbered according to the number of the males from a month old and above were 6,200. So we have 6,200, 8,600, and 7,500. Okay, that's the number for which they can account for the firstborns of the nation of Israel. So we'll see as we go on. And then the Lord called out. The leader of the father's house of the families of Merari was Zeriel, the son of Abihail. <clears throat> these, were the, these were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle. And the appointed duty of the children of Merari included the boards of the tabernacle, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, its utensils, and all the work relating to them, and the pillars of the court and around their sockets, their pegs, and their cords. Moreover... Those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, uh, before the tabernacle of meeting, were Moses, Aaron, and his sons. So, Moses, Aaron, and his sons on the east. We have Gershonites on the west. We have the Merariites on the north. And the Kohathites on the south. So, this is a way that they would be divided around the tabernacle. Now, to the family that had the least numbered, they had the heaviest job. They're removing all the boards. You remember the boards. The boards are wood overlaid with gold. The sockets are pure silver that those boards sat in. All the pillars in the tabernacle, all the posts around the, the fence that went around the tabernacle, 150 feet by 75 feet, and all the sockets that they sat in, and all the hooks. Man, that's a heavy load. It's a heavy load that, that God laid upon them. You know that... When God calls people to things, it's not always everybody pulling the same amount of weight. You see it in the, with the children of Israel. Everybody didn't have to pull the same amount of weight. Some had to pull more. Some people are called by God to go through more things than other people are. Some people are going to suffer more than others. Some people are going to have it easier than other people. But the point is... For each of us, that road that God has called us to is specifically designed for you and me. The road I'm on is designed for me. And the things I have to suffer and the things I need to go through, I need to go through according to God's calling in my life, God's plan, God's direction, and I can trust and believe, hey, this is what God has for me. You just have to accept it. They didn't all pull the same weight. They didn't. In fact, two of the families, the Merarites and the Gershonites, we're going to see in chapter 7, they get carts. They get to put all the hangings, the coverings, the coverings of the tent, all the cloth, the linen fence that went around the outside. They get to gather that, fold it up, prepare it the way God calls them to, and put it on a cart. But the Kothites, they carry it all by hand. What's up with that? Listen, God wants us to realize that we're not all called to walk and do, fulfill the same role. We don't all, we're not punched out of, like, you know, the paper dolls, cut out of paper where we're all the same. We're not all the same. It doesn't mean that God loves one more than the other, but some of us are going to be called to do more, fulfill more than what God has called other people. It's not all the same. 
And what is it that God calls us to do? Same thing he called Peter to do. You remember? He was talking to Peter and he said, Peter, don't worry. John chapter 21. Peter was always afraid that when the time came for him to die for the Lord, he would fail like he did the first time. And Jesus said to him, Peter, don't worry. You're not going to fail. Now you go wherever you want to. But when you're old, men are going to stretch you out and take you where you don't want to go. And the scripture says this is what Jesus spoke concerning the way that he was going to die. That was the road God called for Peter. And you remember what Peter did? He looked over at John and said, what about him? And Jesus said, if I want John to live until I return, what's that to you? You come follow me. This is the road I have for you, Peter. Walk it. This is the road that I have for Jackie, and this is the road I have for Kathy, and this is the fulfillment that he has for us. And we can spend all our time worrying about whether or not it's fair, or we can listen to the why. What was the why? I am the Lord. I, that's like saying, I know what I'm doing. Just because you can't see the whole picture doesn't mean you're smarter than God. You've got to trust Him. You've got to trust Him and put one foot in front of the other and fulfill Run the race set before you. Just like Jesus finished the race set before him. Just like Paul finished his race, didn't he? I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. That's what Paul said. Now, listen, before you think Paul's life was easy, spend some time in 2 Corinthians, especially around chapter 11 and 12. Read the things that happened to Paul. Probably none of us would sign up for that job. The things that Paul went through. But that was Paul's. When God called Paul, you remember God said, I'm going to show him the things he must suffer for me. Now you feel free to put your name in there anytime. Because you have things that you'll suffer too. So do I. It's okay. What's it all for? My good and his glory. That's what the Bible said. My good, His glory. How can this be for my good? Because God's word says for my good and His glory. God is working out that exceeding weight of glory, that blessedness that He works in and amongst all the things that we suffer. We have to trust Him. But, but we can be like Peter, right? What about John? You could be like the Kohathites and they could say, Hey, but the Gershonites, they get carts. God said, sorry, you're carrying it. And the Kohathites, listen, the Kohathites become the burden bearers for the nation of Israel. It's not a bad job. In case you're wondering whether or not that's your job, uh, every man married to a woman is called to be a burden bearer. I, yeah, Kathy loves it. I used to get upset because Kathy would come to me and she would... She would pour out the things that were troubling her, and I'd get mad at her. About, yeah, you shouldn't let this bother you, you shouldn't let this bother you. And then I open up the scripture and study the scripture, and the, the Bible tells me in Ephesians chapter 5, and in, and in uh, Peter chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, it lays out for me, hey, I'm supposed to dwell with my wife with understanding, giving honor to her as unto the weaker vessel, that I am supposed to be her burden bearer as Christ is mine. Oops. 
So what am I supposed to do when my, 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 when my wife brings me her burdens? I'm supposed to take those burdens on my shoulder, bring them to the foot of the cross, give them to Jesus. Because God calls me to be the spiritual head of the family. That doesn't mean I'm the boss. It means I'm the spiritual head of the family. And I am the burden bearer to take those burdens and lay them at the foot of the cross. Now, sometimes I fail at that. But nonetheless, that's my call. And if you're a husband, it's yours too. That's our call. God's organization, His plan, and how we are to fulfill that plan. So, as we go on, we take a look. Uh, at verse 38, we see Moses, Aaron, and his sons uh, gathering on the east side, keeping charge of the sanctuary to meet the needs of the children of Israel. But the outsider who comes near will be put to death. So, how many ways is there to the Father? One way, right? Through the family of Aaron. How many ways to the Father? One way, through Jesus Christ, right? Is the pattern complete? Is it, does it make sense all the way through? It should. It should. How many doors in the tabernacle? One, one. How many ways to, Christ, or to the Father? One. Over and over and over again, you see the pattern. God drawing out the pattern for the nation of Israel. Then... All those who were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron numbered at the commandment of the Lord by their families, all the males from a month old and above were 22,000. Now what I'd really like to do right here is just keep going. Unfortunately, if you understand anything about math, you'll realize that something's wrong. If you add up those numbers, it comes to 22,300. Not 22,000. And I can't say, or well, he's rounding it down, because he's not, we're going to see in a moment, he's not rounding anything. In a moment, we're going to see numbers are, are straight up. So what's happened? Well, folks, hold on to your seat. This is one of the places in the scripture where people point to verse 28 and ascribe to verse 28 a copious error. There is one tiny mark difference in the Hebrew from a 6 to a 3. Now you, you may have seen a few times when you look at the scripture. This, if you look at the scripture and it talks about the word of God that you and I possess today. The Bibles that we read today. It will say something to the effect of 99.5% pure. This is the 0.5%. This is one of, those, one of those areas, whenever there's a discrepancy in the word, just so you understand, it is always the spelling of a city or the difference in a number. In this case, from a 3 to a 6. It's honestly, I'd love to tell you there's something else, but there's nothing else. That's the deal. There's, there is an error. It should have been where it read 8,600, it should have read 8,300. And there are uh, manuscripts to bear out that, that copious uh, error. There are some other explanations um, to it to point uh, to a difference in the firstborn and the firstborn of the, of the uh, uh, Levites that, 
the number 300 was the number of their firstborn, so they couldn't put their firstborn up against the, the firstborn of, uh, for the entire tribe. That's another explanation. The one that carries the most weight, unfortunately, is not that one, at least in terms of linguistics within the word. So as we go on, as we take a look, 22,000 is the number, okay? 22,000 is the number. He goes on, Then the Lord said to Moses, Number all the firstborn males of the children of Israel, from a month old and above, and take the number of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me, I am the Lord, instead of all the firstborn of the children of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites, instead of all the firstborn among the livestock of the children of Israel. So the, the number of the firstborn would all come through the Levitical line. So Moses numbered all the firstborn according to the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded him. And all the firstborn according to the number of their names, from a month old and above, of those that were numbered of them, were 22,273. So we have a difference of 273. There's 273 less Levites than there are firstborns in the nation of Israel. And so God's going to require the price of redemption on that 273. And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Take the Levites, instead of the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the livestock of the Levites, instead of their livestock, and the Levites will be mine. I am the Lord. And for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of Israel, who are more than the number of Levites, you will take five shekels for each one individually. You shall take them to the currency of the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of 20 giraffes. Uh, the best estimate I've seen is roughly two ounces. Two ounces to, uh, to a shekel, two ounces of silver. Um, and you will give, uh, you, will, you shall give the money, verse 48, with which the excess number of them is redeemed to Aaron and his sons. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and, and above those who were redeemed from the Levites. From the firstborn of the children of Israel, he took the money, 1,365 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. I think roughly 170 pounds-ish of silver. And Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons, according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. So God commanded Moses what to do, how to do it, how to number. Now the redemption of the firstborn has been fulfilled, and we see the responsibility of all those called by God to fulfill around the encampment when the camp moved. We see which camps are to move first. We see who's supposed to pick up what when they move, and everybody was expected to fulfill their role. Chapter 4 He's going to go on and give us the second census. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the children of, of Levi by their families, by their father's house. Different census this time, from 30 years old and above. This second census, remember the first one was one, mo one month old and up. To, to pay the price uh, or redeem the firstborn. The second census is for service it's interesting at the age at which it starts isn't it they were counted unto service from 30 up all those uh, from 30 years old and above to 50 so it had a top off from 30 to 50 so even within the nation of israel there was a retirement 
a retirement that would take place at 50 years or at this point in their history after 20 years of service. After 20 years of service, they would step down in retirement and the next crew, the next group, would step up and fulfill their roles. So this was the call of God. So the second census deals with those who can actually do the work. Now, you may have uh, 7,500 from a month old and up, but they can't all work. For example, a month old is not going to carry very much stuff. Right? So this is actually the number of working men that would be able to be a part, that would be able to be a part of the movement of taking the things uh, that were to be taken uh, and the things that were to be moved. So, all who entered the service to do the work of the tabernacle of, me- of beginning. Uh, but, 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 tabernacle of meeting. Wow, that was hard. <clears throat> now, though they were called at 30, we'll, as we continue to study, we're going to see that at the age of 25, they entered into training. And they went to training for five years. And when they were 30, they went on into service. You remember what age Jesus Christ entered into his ministry? 30. Think there's coincidence there? Just happens to be that that's the same number that God said, take the number of those who would enter into service. What we see here is that there is definitely a period of training and a time of maturity that the Lord is looking for in regard to service. Now, for you and I in the New Testament uh, church, we're going to see as we study in the New Testament, we won't see this same call. In fact, Paul would say to Timothy, let no one despise your, remember, youth. Let no one despise your youth. Why? Because he was called of God, gifted of God, into service. And we're going to see in other places that God's going to call kings at eight years old. We're going to see God call kings at 12 years old. So, but here within the priesthood, the the plan for service was 30 to 50, 20 years working, retire, and the next guys would come on. And so this was the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of meeting relating to the most holy things. They were responsible for carrying the most holy things. Which would, what would that be? The most holy things. There's one, what we look at as one piece of furniture that is really two. You remember what it is? The Ark of the Covenant, which is the box, and what's it called on top of it? The mercy seat. They were responsible for moving the most holy things and the rest of the furniture within the tabernacle. And when they moved the most holy thing, They were specifically called of God to move the most holy things upon their shoulder. Chapter 7 of Numbers, verse 19, somewhere in that that area. God's going to say, hey, you carry it on your shoulders. These other guys got carts. You remember David, when he went to move the, the temple, he put it where? He put it on a cart. Not the way God told him to move it. And you remember the, the poor fellow that was going along with him, Uzzah, who's, who's just trying to steady the ark. He reaches out and touches that which he is not allowed to touch, and he falls down dead. And David freaks out, parks the ark of the covenant, and says, man, I, I don't know about that. I, I don't know about entering into the presence of God, into the 
holiness of God. What does that story tell us? It tells that God wants us to move when he wants us to move, but also how he wants us to do it. He wants us to do it his way. Now, you and I today, we take so little concern for his way. I mean, let's think about it. It's real easy for me to figure out what I'm going to do on a given day. I can get up, make my plan, design what I'm going to do that day, move forward, start doing all the things. I'm going to, I'm going to go to the hospital and see so-and-so. I'm going to stop by and visit such-and-such. I'm going to spend this much time. And never in that whole cause of events do I ever have to pause and say, God, what do you want me to do today? I don't have to, right? I can get in the habit of every day I get up in the morning at 6 o'clock and I, and I read my Bible and I go to work and I do the things I'm supposed to do at work and then I go here and then I go there and never once consider in my day that God wants me not only to do what He's called me to do, but how He's called me to do it. How do, how do you want me to do this, Lord? We want God to move in and among us in a in a new way, pouring out His Holy Spirit and revival in our communities and all the places around us. And as God does that, He says, listen, judgment begins in the house of God. Every time a revival begins, God's people are, are called to look at themselves and think, well, am I, am I really giving to the Lord the, the, the favor that, that He calls for? Is he primary in my life or an afterthought? Something I think after. I think, oh, I mean, I listen, folks, I could spend all the time in the world studying the Greek and the Hebrew and go through a whole section of Scripture and develop a message. I don't have to pray. But if I do, do I, am I, am I going to have what God has for me that day? Or do I got the best thing Jackie can put together? Am I trying to accomplish in the flesh what God wants done in the Spirit? And if that's true for me in my day, as it should be, it's also true for us, even in the roles that God has called each one of us to. Is this what you have for me today? Is this the direction? Now, we we got to fulfill our... God expects us to keep the vows we've given and our yes to be yes and our no to be no. So God wants us to fulfill those things we've, we've given, given, those contracts that we are to honor, but He also wants us to fulfill it His way. Giving glory to the Lord, the rightful place to Him. Let God be on the throne of your life. It's so easy for us to put ourselves there and do all the stuff and pretend that God's there. We put on our church mask, we put it on, come sing the songs, clap our hands, raise our hands, pray and go home. And God never be on the throne. God wants to be on the throne. He wants to be on the throne in our life, even as he was on the throne here for the Kohathites. And as he directed them, that's what they were supposed to do. Now, verse 5, he says, Now when the camp prepares the journey, Aaron and his sons will come and take down the covering veil and the cover of the ark and the testimony with it. And they will put on it the covering of badger skins, spread over that a cloth entirely of blue. Does that mean they should spread over a cloth entirely of red? The orange, purple. God said, I want you to take Aaron and his kids. The priests were to go in the tabernacle and prepare everything to be taken down. They were to cover the things. 
because God said, listen, you're not touching the Ark of the Covenant. What could they touch? The poles that went through it. Who put the poles there? Aaron and his kids. Who covered the Ark with the things it was to be covered with? Aaron, the priest, would go in and prepare it, and then those who were called to move it would come in and move. You see that they didn't come in and say, Aaron, you should do it this way. Aaron, maybe you should do it that way. Aaron, did you really think about this or that? Maybe we could do this faster if if we just got everybody in here and and we just let everybody go helter-skelter. But God had a specific plan, a specific way that it was called to be done. And one of the hardest things for us as the body of Christ to understand is that God works that same way with us. Sometimes we can look at what's going on within a church and say, now that, I don't understand why they're doing that. Or why they're doing that that way. Or why they don't do this this way. Or why... But then I'm sure the generals for Joshua at the Battle of Jericho thought the same thing. What in the world is this guy telling us? March around the city? This is the dumbest plan I ever heard. Right? Whose plan was it? God's plan. We, as a body, and as a body of Christ, have to learn. God moves in very specific ways and does very specific things for a very specific purpose, and we don't even always understand it. But He wants us to follow. To to do whatever it is God's calling us to do. Fulfilling that role. So, Aaron, they would go prepare everything. Uh, They put it entirely of blue, and they insert its poles. On the table of showbread... They spread blue cloth and put on its dishes, the pans, the bowls, the pitchers for pouring, uh, and the showbread shall be on it. So they left the showbread on it. They put all the utensils upon it and covered it in blue. Covered the ark in blue. They will spread, uh, then he goes on, uh, they will spread over them a scarlet cloth. Now spread over them, spreading over uh, the showbread itself. And cover the same uh, with the covering of badger skins and they will insert the poles. And they shall take the blue cloth and cover the lampstand uh, of the light with its lamps, its wick trimmers, its trays, oil vessels with which they service it. And they shall put it with all its utensils in a covering of badger skins and put it on a carrying beam. Over the golden altar they will spread a blue cloth, cover it with the covering of badger skins and insert its poles. And they will take away all the utensils of service with which they minister in the sanctuary, put them in a blue cloth, cover them with a covering of badger skins, and put them on a carrying beam. Over and over again, we see the same thing, covering of blue. When we studied the tabernacle, we looked at that. That blue covering is the picture of the heavenlies. And being covered in badger skin is a picture of humility. And over and over again, even as they move the utensils within the, the tabernacle, it speaks of the divinity of Christ and his humility. The fact that God would empty himself, the great kenosis, come in the likeness of men, that he would be, in essence, wrapped or clothed in badger skins. There was nothing beautiful about him that we should desire him. The book of Isaiah declares that to us. We look just like everybody else. And that's the same we see as they cover all these things. They shall take all the utensils of service with which they minister in the sanctuary, put them in blue cloth, cover them with a covering of badger skin, carry it on a beam. Also, they'll take away the ashes from the altar 
and spread a purple cloth over it. Purple cloth spread over the altar. I find that interesting. Why do I find that interesting? Because the altar is a picture of the cross. What did they put on Jesus Christ to mock him? They wrapped him in a purple robe. Speaking of, oh, he's the king, remember? They put on him that, that purple robe and the crown of thorns. And so we see here, them covering the altar, the picture of the cross, with a, a purple covering. <clears throat> they will put on it all its implements with which they minister there, the fire pans, forks, shovels, basins, all the utensils of the altar, and they will spread on it the covering of badger skins and insert its poles. Again, everything covered with those badger skins. Badger skins, very plain, covering of humility. And when Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Kohath will come to carry them. But they will not touch any holy thing lest they die. That's what happened to Yuza, right? Yuza touched the holy thing, didn't do it the way God called him to do it. The burden bearers were to carry all of this on their shoulders. The other two families had carts. But the Kohathites were to carry it upon their shoulders. These are the things in the tabernacle of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. The appointed duty of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, is the oil for the light, sweet incense, a daily grain offering, the anointing oil, oversight of all the tabernacle, of all that is in it, with the sanctuary and its furnishings. So Eleazar, the next oldest son for Aaron, the two older ones had died. Eleazar, this was his responsibility. He was to make sure he had the oil to light the lampstand, the anointing oil, the sacrifices, uh, the grain offering sacrifices, and he was to oversee all these things that occurred in and around the sanctuary. This was his role. This is what he was called to do. As, uh, as we take a look, as it goes on, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Do not cut off the tribe of the family of the Kohathites from among the Levites, but do this in regard to them, that they may live and not die when they approach the most holy things. Aaron and his sons will go in and appoint each of them to his service and to his task. But they shall not go in to watch while the holy things are being covered, lest they die. So Aaron and his family were required to make sure that the Kohathites were able to do what they were called to do. They were to make sure that everything was prepared, that everything was laid out. Again, you see very clearly God's organization. It wasn't Kohathites do whatever you want. It was Kohathites, they showed up, Aaron and his sons had it all covered, and then Eleazar would attach, hey, you guys carry this, you guys carry that, you guys this, this, and he would direct them and they would come in and take the implements the the furniture out of the tabernacle in preparation to move very precise calling that god had placed on them god is immutable he doesn't change he doesn't change he still functions the same way and there's still that same calling within uh, the body today. God will direct, God will guide, even uh, 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 as technically as he is here. 
Also take a census of the sons of Gershon by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50. Again, the same number. You will number them all and enter to perform the service to do the work of the tabernacle of the meeting. This is the service of the family of the Gershonites in serving and carrying. They will carry the curtains of the tabernacle uh, and the tabernacle of meeting with its coverings, the covering of badger skins that was on it. The screen for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the screen for the door of the gate to the court, the hangings of the court, which are all around the tabernacle and altar, their cords, all their furnishings for their service, and all that is made for these things, so they shall serve. Aaron and his sons will assign all the service to the sons of the Gershonites, all their tasks, all their service, and you will appoint to them all their tasks as their duty. This is the service of the family of the sons of Gershon, in the tabernacle of meeting, their duties will be under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. Again, chapter 7, we'll read that they're given two carts and four oxen to help them carry their load. So this was their responsibility. Again, someone in oversight over guiding, directing, being led. This is a way that God still calls us to move. This is a way that God still directs his people now verse 29 as for the sons of merari you will number them by their families in their father's house from 30 years old and above even to 50 and you shall number them everyone who enters the service to do the work of the tabernacle and this is what they must carry as all their service for the tabernacle of meeting the boards of the tabernacle its bars its pillars its sockets the pillars around the court their sockets pegs cords with all the furnishings and all their service, you will assign to each man by name the items he must carry. What's that mean? Folks, there's a lot of sockets. Every man was responsible. Now, let's say this guy, he says, you know, gosh, this is great, and, and it's all good, but this is, I just got this stupid job. I just take this one silver socket right here. That's my socket. Now, I'm supposed to pick up that socket and make sure it gets where we're going. So, you know what? This is a dumb job. So I'm not going to do it. Forget it. I'm not carrying that dumb socket. Somebody else will do it. When they got where they were going, and they tried to set it up, they would come to that socket. But that socket's not there. And they know by name who was supposed to carry the socket. So Moses, go to the fella and say, Guy, where, where, where's the socket? Oh, come on, Moses, that's a stupid job. I decided not to do it. So I left that socket behind. You realize that the whole tabernacle didn't move. It didn't go up. Nothing happened. Until someone went back, got the socket, and brought it back. Every job fulfilled the responsibility for the place, the tabernacle of the presence of God to move. That's no different today. When God moves, he doesn't move in one person. When God moves, he's going to move within a body. He's going to pour out his spirit. He wants to do this great and, and powerful and wonderful thing. And he will wait until all the pieces are in place to do it. He'll wait until everyone has picked up their sockets or grabbed their board or laid hold of the rod or grabbed the cord whatever it was that they were called to carry. He'll wait until those things are done. And then 
they'll move forward. And this, this is what we see here with Merari. Each one, by name, were called and directed according to Ithamar, the things he would carry. This is a service of the families of the sons of Merari, as all their service for the tabernacle of meeting under the authority of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. And Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of the congregation numbered the sons of the Kohathites by their families and their father's house. From 30 years old and above, even to 50, everyone who entered the service for work in the tabernacle of meeting, and those who were numbered by their family were 2,750. So it's a far cry from uh, the, the number that was given for everyone. These are the ones who were numbered of the families of the Kohathites, who might serve the tabernacle of meeting. Again, they're the ones that carried the furniture, whom Moses and Aaron numbered, uh, the burden bearers carrying on their shoulder, the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Verse 38, And those who were numbered of the sons of Gershon by their families and by their father's house from 30 years old and above to 50, everyone who entered the service for work of the tabernacle of meeting, those who were numbered of their families by the father's house, 2,630. These are the ones who were numbered of the families of the sons of Gershon, who all, all who might serve in the tabernacle of meeting, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the commandment of the Lord. Uh, those are the families of the sons of Merari, who were numbered by their families, by their father's house from 30 years old and above. Everyone who entered the, the service for work in the tabernacle of meeting. Those who were numbered by their families, 3,200. These are the ones who were numbered by the families of the sons of Merari, whom... Uh, Moses and Aaron numbered according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So all who were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses, Aaron, and the leaders of Israel numbered by their families, by their father's houses, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old, everyone who came to the work of the service and the work of bearing burdens in the tabernacle of meeting, those who were numbered were 8,580. So you had 22,000 total. You have 8,580 that were able to work. According to the commandment of the Lord, they were numbered by the hand of Moses, each according to his service and according to his tasks. Thus they were numbered by him as the Lord commanded Moses. Directly fulfilling the call that God gave to Moses, they moved forward in obedience. And they did it. And as a result, most people estimate that when, it came, when the time came for the children of Israel, 2.5 million people, to move camp, it took less than 30 minutes for the tabernacle to come down, be in the rightful hands, everybody to be in formation where they were to be, and the camp moving forward. That's pretty amazing. How were they able to do that? Every person knew their role. And so, God's people move forward. And the God's people move forward the same way today. God calls, directs, guides, leads. He moves the pieces to the places that He wants them to be in, the way He wants them to be. And then God's Spirit moves and, and His people move forward. Still the same way. Still the same way. So we want to allow God's word to realize 
that we, we don't want to get so focused on organization that we forget that, that this is a living entity, the body of Christ. But we don't want to get so focused that the body of Christ is a living entity that we forget that God is a God of organization and that he's going to move things forward his way for our good and his glory. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for an opportunity to study your word, Father, to see how you are guiding, how you are leading, how you direct the the nation of Israel in the book of Numbers. And God, I thank you, Father, that you are a God of organization. And I thank you that you call us to, to do things in certain ways because you are the Lord. So, Father, may we have eyes to see. May we have ears to hear, heart willing to receive and understand. May we understand our role. May we understand our place in this world, in your kingdom, as as we move forward to that time, God. May we very clearly hear in your still small voice, this is a place I want you, my child. May we realize that when we come together in worship, it's an opportunity to give worship to you. And that it's an act of service that we give. In it, we do receive. Surely we receive. In reality, Father, the more we serve, the more we give, the more we realize, Father, that you are a debtor to no man. For you give us far more than we can ever give you. And Lord, may we recognize in your body as we serve, fulfilling our purpose, that you, God, do an amazing thing in us. And we find, just like a key for the lock, we fit. We fit in this calling, in this place, in this role. God, we ask that you would move among us, guide us, lead us, direct us, bind us together, Lord God, that we might be bringing unto you glory and honor, majesty, Forever and ever, God, proclaiming your name. May we, each of us, accept our place, accept our responsibility, fulfill our role, and make you central. So, Father, we don't move unless you move. We don't do or go unless you're calling and directing us to do and go. God, that we would trust as you guide the leadership here, as you direct those who have been appointed in positions of responsibility, Lord God, that, that we would trust, Father, that you're leading, you're guiding, you're moving, you're directing. And ultimately, it's all about you and not about us. So, God, may we accept our place. May we desire, earnestly desire those best gifts, God, that you are holding out to us to accomplish the task that you've given us, that we may bring honor and glory to you. That you, God, through 12 people, changed the world. And there's more than 12 here. And you can change the world again through us. So use us, Lord. Pour yourself out upon us that we might fulfill that call that you have 
in and through us. Father, we pray, be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to close in a, in a time of worship. We invite everyone to, to hang out yet again. We have the blessing of ice cream sundaes, I think. And I might actually make it out there before it's all gone. So, uh, please join us in worship. God bless you guys, and have a great week.
Lord, it's all about you, Lord Jesus. Lord, you led us out of death. Lord, you give us a new life in you. Lord, uh, may we praise you with every breath. Lord, be with us as, as we fellowship, Lord. May your spirit move as we move through our week, Lord. May you guide every step, Lord, in your precious holy name. Amen.